You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 140. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a busy show for you this week. In our case for, case against debate, we take a look at unknown high-growth small cap Apollo Healthcare Corp, symbol AHC on the TSX. Apollo is one of the largest private label personal care product manufacturers, which saw its sales and profitability skyrocket in 2020 as one of the third largest producers of hand sanitizer and private label cleaning products sold at most of the big box retailers, including Costco. Aaron argues the bear case, Uncle Brennan is on the bull case, and I sit in as judge, jury, and executioner. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we answer a listener question on Grand Columbia Gold Corp, symbol GCM on the TSX. The company is engaged in the acquisition, exploration, development, and operation of gold and silver properties, primarily in Colombia. We let you know whether it provides value at its current price. So let's get into the show uh, quickly. How are you two doing? We did our uh, big seminar on the sixth last week how are you feeling after we that did, yeah, Aaron? big seminar uh, last week and then we have the second part two tomorrow so that's um yeah april 13th 7 p.m eastern right yeah, or yeah, yeah 7, 7 p.m eastern, eastern 4 p.m, 4 PM pacific, pacific. Yeah. so yeah. i think those tickets are selling out so anybody who wants to yeah wants to be a part of that should uh should sign up um but i i thought that the I thought that the DIY went off great. I mean, it was record numbers in terms of attendees, which doesn't really surprise me considering everything that's going on in the market. Um, people want to get that advice and want to get that perspective and also a couple of great um, opportunities that they can add to their portfolio. So certainly not a surprise, but I think we, we, well, well, we did run out of time. I don't know how many more questions were left at the end, but we had pretty much yeah. a full 45-minute Q&A and we still ran out of time. So of course, we, uh, we invited the attendees to um, pose our questions, their questions after the the seminar and got back to everybody. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. For uh, like, we did more people in that one room, one session uh, than we used to do. We used to do these in person across Canada. We'd go to nine cities, so we did more people in that one three hour webinar than we do in nine cities across Canada. Uh, the these webinars are building every time we have them. You know, we're adding, you know, 30, 40, 50% more people in the room. It's great to see. Uh, I think the content was good. And we, we had new recommendations there, six or seven, uh, not new to our clients, but new to uh, these sev- 
sem- these seminars, um, we went through companies. I can tease them right now. This is what we do. An unknown healthcare tech stock, which saw earnings jump over 400% in Q1, trades at around $1.50. We detailed that company. Our top Canadian REIT right now, it trades at a significant discount to peers. Number three, our top gold-related company. It's poised to grow revenues 47% and more than double cash flow, but it only trades at five times cash flow. So we also introduced number four, Canada, our first ever Canadian-based cannabis buy, which is profitable and trades at approximately one-time sales. Number five company here would be our top U.S. infrastructure stock, which is really positioned well to benefit from Biden's $2 trillion plus in infrastructure spend. Number six would be our top SaaS cloud computing company. And there's one more bonus company that we add in there. Some really diverse companies that we talk about here. Great topics that we get into. Like Aaron said, we literally had a full room. So we had to cut off right at the end our ticket selling. So if you want tickets, this is the last spring webinar we're doing. It's coming up uh, tomorrow on the 13th. So get in there. Anything to add on that, Brennan? Uh, I guess n- nothing, uncle, nothing sorry. too too elaborate, but uh, I guess one thing that I could touch on is just that we are coming out with our, our Canadian cannabis report here, uh, you know, shortly, and, and I've been running the numbers on a lot of these cannabis companies, and just, you know, it, it's crazy some of the valuations out there for some of these large Canadian cannabis companies that are, you know, losing half a billion dollars and are trading it like eight times sales. It's just crazy. You know, so when we look at our, our first Canadian cannabis recommendation in the space, uh, you know, I, I personally believe there's some value there. So, you know, yeah, I'm not, one time sales and profitability, uh, exactly. N- not much in the sector is trading at that. You can find these little, little anomalies, right? And that's mm-hmm. what we'd love to do. Find those little anomalies that, you know, it's not that little. I think the company had 51 million in revenue last year. So yeah. those are but businesses we're looking at. But it was surprisingly unknown, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I mean, oh, there, yes. was, there was more attention oh, being given to the companies that were, I mean, the companies like Canopy, like Afria, um, yep. a few others that were that were making, generating a lot of revenue, but were so far from profitability and so speculative in our view. And then here's this company that's actually right from the beginning producing profitability and focusing on that as a key part of their strategy, which is what we love. And people weren't really talking about that until they were, right? Until, you know, several quarters later when... And you're talking true leave now, right? Yes, I am talking. Yes, 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 yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, this is what company we recommended wasn't this time sure last year. Wasn't sure if we were naming year. names or not, but yes, that is the company that I'm talking about. Yeah, no, well, I mean, we've, we've talked about true leave and, on and the, the podcast before. And the company is before. up, yeah. you know, several hundred percent since our, our recommendation, um, yeah, since we had it in the in the in our cannabis 2020 cannabis report in in about a year ago, a little over a year ago. So. Yeah, I mean it was trading between eleven and fifteen dollars there, and it shot up to fifty dollars. But it led and, the way, literally, didn't it? Like when yeah. cannabis companies started to recover, I noticed that it was actually because they they were they were out of favor really when we recommended them. They people had realized that there's a lot of supply demand imbalance in Canada. Um, you know, the stock prices had, had come down a lot. That's when we saw an opportunity. We made our first recommendation and it started to perform ahead of the sector, I found. It was it really kind of led the sector. That. Right. And yeah. And I and that's I mean, that's what we that's what we're always looking to do. I yeah, and focusing on the profitability. And that was our top pick after looking at, you know, we liked the US market last year. We still like it going forward. That was our top pick in this sector at, you know, this time last year going into the to 2020, 2020. 
And, you know, we still like that company long term. Uh, we still like a couple smaller names in the U.S. market as well. And now we have a company that we're looking at that is focused in the Canadian market that, again, is vertically integrated as TrueLeave is, but it's in the Canadian market focused on, uh, you know, from seed to sale. And we've seen that model successfully used in the U.S. market. It may be successful in the Canadian market, and that's why we're looking at that company. It's certainly buying it at a reasonable price right now. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. So one thing we touch on, too, in the in the, um, in the the seminar is, is the, I, I talk about the concept of the new normal. Uh, on this topic, I will start with Twitter. Now, I find Twitter half the time, especially Finn Twitter or most Twitter as a cesspool, really. But I peruse it from time to time to amuse myself. And once in a while, my eyes are open to some new ideas. Uh, what I've been seeing too often, particularly over the past year, is increasing talk about how stock valuations don't matter. Or we need to completely change the way we look at value in companies, use new valuation methods, often things that are hard to measure, such as how a business may rank on the disruptive meter. So essentially, it boils down to the old argument that are we in or creating a new normal? For me, this is always scary. I heard the same arguments back in the dot-com bubble uh, when a ton of traders came into the market or when the when oil blew past $200 a barrel. Um, you heard this is the new, new normal. Or at the outset of the can- cannabis boom, when you know a ton of people lost a ton of money betting in some fly-by-night cannabis companies, it was the new normal. You had to be invested in this. Um, each time we've heard it's the new normal, it has not been over the long term, and we must be cognizant of this. Now, I'm going to give you a quick example of how, you know, quasi analysts on Twitter are 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 bringing about what they think is the new normal. Now, this is by no means the biggest culprit. There are far by far more egregious examples of this, but I'm going to look at a a tweet here. Now, you can't really see it because we're on a podcast, but I'm going to tell you what it says. The author says, and and I'm I'm not really pounding on this author, but I'm just going to tell you what is said here. I bought a new stock this week. I think it has 10 bagger plus potential, meaning going up 10 times from where it is now. So it says, here are the check marks. Three plus revenue streams, check. Disruptive technology, check. Founders involved, check. High gross margins, check. Massive total addressable market, check. Optionality, check. And then this is the kicker for me. It says, and it's only trading for 10 times sales. Are you curious? (laughs) And then he gets into it, right? So, I mean, for me, like only 10 times sales is a a high multiple, unless this is a just a tremendous business. And even then, everything has to succeed over the long term. You have to look into the business. So I looked into, uh, you know, this business that he was talking about. so I was expecting to find, you know, a tremendous, say, SaaS business or a tremendous uh, high, high growth business that's uh, cr- increasing free cash flow on a quarterly basis, something like that, to pay 10 times sales going forward. So I look at this business and I look what it did in 2020, uh, $13 million in revenues up from 11.3. Well, total loss was $12 million, you know up from a loss of 10 million in the same year. So so the business is growing revenues at 12 to 15%. Uh, to me, it just doesn't 
it does not hit me in the face like this is a tremendous opportunity. Uh, in this case, the company remains speculative without ever producing cash flow and without profitability. There is a lot of speculation in this proof of concept. It really hasn't proved out the concept here. Now, the words disruptive technology for me get thrown around far too much. Whether a technology will disrupt or be the next standard in an industry is very, very difficult to predict. Uh, even for specialists who are immersed in the industry, for financial analysts to consistently throw this term around um, as a valuation method, it seems often silly to me. The cash flow doesn't lie. This business has zero cash flow. We prefer, prefer to use it as our guide rather than guessing on potential disruption. True disruption is very rare. If you hold, say, 15 to 25 stocks in your portfolio that trade at high valuations, like this company, say 10 to 20 times sales, or with no sales, as we see many businesses, but they promise disruption, you're taking too much risk. The process you're taking has too much undue risk in it. We prefer to create a portfolio of 15 to 25 stocks with a certain profile. Um, and this profile is good solid cash flow, good solid revenues, good solid growth looking forward, a good balance sheet, and they trade at relatively reasonable valuations. The more stocks you add like this of the 20 to 25 you have in your portfolio, the better chance of success you will have in the long term. The more you structure your portfolio with bets, on some technology that you think is disruptive and you have 15 to 25 of those, good luck with your portfolio over the long term. We believe value still matters. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. It doesn't have to be the cheapest stock out there, but it has to have some sort of fundamental value for us to add it to any portfolio. And I think it's a cautionary tale when we look at these companies, 10 to 20 times sales. Wow, disruptive technology. But, you know, we don't know whether it is going to be the technology that wins out. And even when it is the best technology, it can't, it always win out. And only like, any thoughts on that guys? It only has like, again, what is it? 12 trillion month over 12 trillion month revenue growth, like 12%, did you say? Or yeah, if 13? it's 15 in that range. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so, you 12 know, like to 15. realistically looking at a company with, you know, that's trading at a 10 times price to sales. Like, what do you think, like how much revenue growth, um, should that company actually have before we're like, oh, this is interesting. Like, do you think like 200% revenue growth year over year, something like that, essentially? Like, do you you'd think that, that would be more in line? Almost at least 50%, mm -hmm. you know, you'd have, mm -hmm. you know, and, or unless they had some SaaS business that was recurring and it was 30% plus, yeah. and then you could see them uh, investing in the technology and then you, you know, and potentially that's decreasing their cash flow right now. And, but going forward, you could see, uh, the business being more profitable and cash flow adding, you know, two to three down the years down the road, significantly cash flow positive. Um, you know, it's a really small business at 13 million in revenue right now. And saying it's like the words cheap in this tweet are in capitals, <laughs> cheap at only in capitals, 10 times sales. Like we still find businesses with growth of like 40% trading at 10 times earnings. Right. I, I just, even in this market, you can still find that. And you don't always want to buy the cheapest company out there. But, you know, it's not cheap with $13 million in sales, trading, trading at 10 times sales, growing at 12 to 15%. And again, that Canadian yeah. cannabis company that uh, we're recommending, I believe, again, around one-time sales, and they grew revenue at around 60% last year, I believe, year over year. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, in that range. Know, just to put it into perspective for listeners. Yeah. Well, one thing that you, Aaron, you really have any to thoughts? consider... Yeah. Uh, at this stage of the market here is that 
there are a lot of people who have been in the market now for over 10 years and have never seen a downturn. They don't know what a downturn yes. looks oh, like. Yeah. And anybody who's been in the market for, you know, two to five years has seen some pretty, I mean, a little bit of volatility at times, but it's some pretty, some pretty stellar performance. And it's almost like a situation you get at certain points in the market where you can be completely incompetent when it comes to selecting investments and still make money because it's easy to get lucky when the market is going up. It's not that hard to get lucky. It's not impressive to get a, to get a good return when the market is raging was is raging up especially if you're if you're speculating i mean there's going to be some people who speculate in a strong market and don't do well um, and some that do especially well, but it's always the ones that do especially well that you're going to hear about. They're going to be the ones that are on the financial news. They're going to be the ones that are on YouTube, the ones that are, are on Twitter. Um, but when you start to get into this mentality, and it's 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 a mentality of over over overconfidence, really is 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 what it comes down to. You have financial professionals. Um, people who have been in the market now for years believe that they're experienced. Even people that have more experience but don't remember what it was like before the raging bull market, um, they start to get overconfident and then they start to take unnecessary risks. Uh, they start to be subject to things like the fear of missing out. And this is what essentially creates bubbles. And I'm not trying to predict where exactly we are in the market or if a bubble is going to pop or even if a bubble exists right now. I think bubbles do exist in certain areas of the market. Absolutely. I don't think that I know it. Um, but when they're going to pop, is, is not something that can be known. And I also think that certain segments of the market are actually not that overvalued. And in some cases, there are certain segments of the market that are actually performing very well. They may be trading at high valuations, but they they deserve those valuations. But to just, um, to just look at the last couple of years and try to extrapolate that going forward is, is one of the most dangerous things you can do as an investor. And it's really what eventually leads to market bubbles and downturns. Can I, on, on this whole topic of expectations, Twitter and all this, can I read you guys one tweet that I earmarked today, just this past week? Yes. Um, now this, and then we'll get to, we'll get to going through Apollo Healthcare Corp and our uh, Grand Columbia, but this is, says here, not going to lie. I set out to make a million in 2021 on the like in OTC, which I'm assuming means trading OTC or over-the-counter stocks in the U.S. Started with 350k in mid-January, and have only 110k left. I've been in tears every day and experienced every horrible emotion. Imagine, I'm glad I didn't make a million overnight. I am humbled and ready to grind. By grind, I would hope that me that person means go back to the very basics and actually learn how to invest. Because yeah. the first thing, the first major mistake that this person made is expecting to triple their three hundred thousand dollars in a year. It just right, the, like that, the mindset insane. is mind boggling. I'm not saying that you can't. Yeah. Like some people can invest in speculative things, and, and they can they they that you can triple your money or better. But to go in, there's a certain element of luck. If you're if you're getting that type of a return, there's a certain element of luck. Um, even if you uh -huh. are investing in good companies and making really good decisions. Um, but to go in with an expectation of tripling your money in one year, I mean, of course, you're setting yourself up to fail, right? But this For goes sure. back to my other comments about overconfidence and fear of missing out. I mean, these people are seeing other people that have invested in Tesla that have uh, made tons of money doing uh 
trading on you know through Wall Street Wall Street bets. I heard that one of the the, the main influencers on Wall Street bets is now a billionaire, um, making money from Bitcoin, making money from non fungible tokens, and it just basically looks like it's easy. Um, but what you have to remember once again is that there's that survivorship bias, and it's always the people that make the most money and do the best typically that you hear about. And usually the tweets like you just read just kind of, you know, they, they fall into well, the background. And, and the, the continue on the replies to that tweet are shocking because there was hundreds of stories of the same type of thing. Individual investors like this woman lost $240,000 since the start of this year, since the start, like we're talking about literally a couple months, right? So she had 350, she's down to 110. Gaining that back will be absolutely monumental and the risk you'd have to take on, she'll probably go closer to zero than uh, get anything back. Yeah, the whole um, idea of gaining that back is it would be another mistake. It's not going to yeah, happen. You need to just That's, forget yeah, it's about gone. the money that was lost and, and not worry about this imaginary $300,000, which was real in the past, but is no longer real. Now you have a hundred and change and that's your portfolio and you just need to move forward with that and not target like, oh, I have to get back on top by the end of the year. That's how gamblers think. Yeah, they'll yeah. be shooting. Mm-hmm. This person would be down to zero if that's if that's a strategy. Yeah, so, but I'm seeing a ton of those type of tweets out there and it just, it really makes me understand, it makes me want to bring our message out there of building quality businesses, 15 to 25 quality stocks, put those in your portfolio, set realistic expectations, but you can get outstretched returns, you know, over the long term if you build your portfolio that way. And that's what we continue to preach. And what we would not want you to do is put your you know, money in these higher risk companies, maybe promising you the world, but you can get the returns that you're looking for with a company like Expel or Boyd, the most boring businesses out there that have been the best performing stocks over the long term. And that's what we're trying to put in our clients' portfolios over the long term. So let's get to this debate. Apollo Healthcare, certainly a tremendous year in terms of uh, revenues and earnings for this company. Trades at about 429 in the market. Market cap, $315 million in that range. They are one of the largest private level label, sorry, personal care product manufacturers. Again, it saw its sales and profitability skyrocket in 2020 as one of the third largest producers of hand sanitizer and private label cleaning products sold at most of the big box retailers, including Costco. So the case for, Brennan has that. Are you ready? Yes. Um, are you going to count me in? Like I can count you in. Do you need any? Do you need time to take a big breath, or you know? Yeah, yeah. I'll be right back. Actually, want, yeah. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm ready to go. All right, Uncle. Make your niece proud. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Number one, great growth in revenue with 92% growth in fiscal 2020 compared to fiscal 2019. And although sales were accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic for its hand sanitizer products, I believe hand sanitizer will remain a hot product for the next one to two years. Number two, the company has a healthy balance sheet with a cash balance of 31 million and zero debt on its balance sheet. The company is well positioned for future growth. And this time last year, the company actually had over 60 million in debt, which was 
was all paid down from cash flow. Number three, trading at just 3.3 times EV to EBITDA or with a price to sales multiple of under one times. Even if growth does begin to decelerate, Apollo offers growth at a reasonable price going forward. And number four, on top of this, Apollo is working on growth opportunities in which the company was granted an R&D license by Health, and Canada, by Health Canada in late 2019 to begin developing cosmetics containing CBD. If the company is able to release topical CBD products, this could further support growth into the future. Boom. All right, right on time. Nicely done. Nicely done. Aaron Dunn. Speaking of done, Aaron Dunn. Are you uh are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready? Okay, I'll count you in. Four, three, two, one, go. I'm not gonna argue past financial performance. The numbers in 2020 were were great, but that performance was already reflected in the share price in 2020. What matters to the future stock return is how the financial performance trends from here. And unfortunately, the company is providing the bare minimum of disclosure, which makes it impossible to know if profitability and growth are sustainable in 2021 and 2022. I looked at the website, through the financials, the disclosure docs. There's almost no information provided by the company, not nothing resembling an outlook. All they said was that growth was from higher volume of products sold. But what products? I can see about a dozen of them, one of which is hand sanitizer. My concern is that this is a short-term blip due to COVID. The company wasn't even making money pre-COVID and traded at pennies. The stock could easily be trading at pennies again once COVID demand begins to subside or more competition comes in. Past financial performance doesn't drive the stock price going forward. And if growth prospects are so great, then why isn't management communicating this growth strategy to the market? And just, well, you got two seconds left. Good job. Nice. Good it job, is Aaron. a tough one on this one. Yeah, this Anybody want to add anything in the end? Well, no, I just think that we both made good points. Um, and yeah, like this is a really good, good debate here. Um, I, I really don't know which way it could go. Cause I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess you're up, Ryan, realistically. I'll yeah, no, I think it's a great debate. This is your classic case of, I mean, there is value. Is it a value trap, right? There mm-hmm. is tremendous value based on the last year. And as as we know, um, the first, and it'll probably have a record quarter in the first, you know, over the first three months of this year as well. Uh, then it faces uh, the period, the Q2 period, I think, for them. Uh, which they had tremendous bump from the COVID-related sales. And Q3 will be like that as well and going on. So does it face declining sales over the course of this year? It would be great to get management's uh, assessment on that, get some guidance. They have not really offered that. Now, we have interviewed management. They were forthright in the interview, but they don't provide any guidance. So, um, I mean, we like the underlying fundamentals of the business right now. And we, this was highlighted in our cash-rich report as a company that has potential. If they can start to go out there now and uh, some of the relationships that they've created uh, during COVID where they serve the needs of some of those big box retailers with the hand sanitizer and the cleaning products, if they can start to go out there and you know further those relationships to bring on other products. And do we see, I hate using this word, do we see a new normal? Now, is that new normal in terms of hand sanitizer, a 10% lift over what we saw pre-pandemic? Is it a 25%? Is it a 50% lift? 
I don't know that going forward. And management hasn't provided any guidance on that as well. They would help the market if they went out and thought what the more normalized level of sales in this key area for the company are going forward. So yes, based on the current fundamentals, based on the fact that they've generated a ton of cash, Apollo looks like a good buy right now. But the as Aaron said, the business or the stock price is not determined just on the past. It's determined on the future. As we have no sight lines to the future growth of the business, as we have no guidance from management in that regard, it's it's hard for us to for our large client base to tell them to buy right now. If a client wanted to take a speculative position and think there is a new normal, it may be a bet you could make. But given the fact that we don't have that guidance from management going forward, and we do believe there is a huge bump from COVID-related sales, on a go-forward basis, it, we just don't have the confidence that this company can continue to drive revenues at the scale that it did last year. So at this point, we would just be on the sidelines and not be buying a position. So I'm gonna go on the side of Aaron on this one. That's wow. a long-winded answer. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I, I'll just, a little bit of background here. I did give Brennan his choice, uh, what, what side he wanted to take. And um, when I first started looking at the companies, at the company, I thought that I did have my work cut out for me. Um, but then when I actually tried to get some type of a comment from management, I realized this, this was actually, I, mean, I was it, pretty confident this was gonna be an easy win. You know, yeah, the, the thing is, it's it's you. I can make a case like we just talked about there. I can make a case for owning this business right now. Like I, we can make a really good case for owning the business in terms of the growth, in terms of the revenues, in fact, and the fact that the valuations are so low. And the other thing that's the wild card here is they're generating a ton of cash by the, you know, we think midway through this year, they're going to have a huge war chest of cash in the bank. They could go out, buy another business. They could bring other products into the fold. All these things could happen. Um, if those things happen, then we're looking at a whole different business and, you know, a whole different case to be buying it. But, you know, that communication hasn't happened from management and they've been, uh, not good at doing that so far. So we'd like to see not, them get out there and provide more communication. To me, yeah, it's I, there's no excuse, right? Because I've seen companies that I've seen companies that don't like to spend much time communicating with the market. They don't have much on their website. They don't put out presentations. They don't do conference calls. They sometimes won't even take calls. But you'll still see a quote from the CEO or the president in the press release, or you'll still see some type of color in the MDNA, some type of a breakdown of where the growth of the sales are coming from. You literally see nothing from this company. I mean, I went through the MDNA, I went through the website. They literally provide no information beyond just that the the historical financial results. And there's just not really much yeah. we can no, do with I, that. Right? I agree 100%. Um, again, you know, we're on that topic of management, just not talking to the market about what they're doing, where they're going. Like even the CBD products, you know, I, I put that into my case, but realistically, I have no idea, you know, they haven't put any color on that since um, Health Canada gave them that R&D license. So realistically, again, you know, management hasn't said anything. As well, something that I learned. So I'll, I'll just, you know, t tell my personal case with this. And this is the reason that I took uh, the four side is I actually, I don't know, I guess a few months ago, I ended up purchasing the warrants uh, of Apollo Health and made a decent return. Um, but then the, the warrants pulled back a bit. I, I bought more. And 
I ended up, you know, losing some money on the, my overall investment. So I, I, I learned uh, a good lesson in the market. And what I learned uh, by losing some money in Apollo uh, was that sentiment is so important to investing. As you know, a lot of people understand that, like Aaron said, going forward, we don't know if hand sanitizer is going to continue to sell like it has over the past year for Apollo. So, you know, that sentiment going forward, there, there's not too much positive sentiment, which is kind of leaving this dark cloud over over top of the stock, which is, you know, what forced me to to sell out as a loss. Um, but, you know, although I took a loss in the market, uh, I did take a valuable lesson away. So, I mean, uh, I do just want to say that or point that out. Yeah, I mean, it's did you turn three hundred thousand into one hundred thousand? No, <laughs> no. Just talking about okay. No, um, the company, the company has like, and we looked at it. Um, you know, we originally looked at it mid pandemic, and I think the the management missed an opportunity to um, really go out there and communicate this story. Um, when th- there were some companies that had loose association with, you know, higher sales during a pandemic or promise the promise of higher sales during the pandemic. And they, their share prices just took off. Now, Apollo probably had a chance to have its share price really take off if they communicated that they were one of the largest sellers and only you know one of the only public companies in Canada that had exposure to hand sanitizer. You could have then you know gone out there, got a far higher multiple, could have made an acquisition. Those things that you could have done, uh, they just really. You know, there's. I like companies that put their head down and do the work, but you also should talk to the market if you're going to be public. You're and, a public and, you know, company. They missed, you need yeah. to communicate they missed, the story. Yeah. They missed. Yeah. Uh, uh, they missed an opportunity. There's always the opportunity to start communicating right now. Say what we plan to do with all this gobs of cash that we're earning. But unless the market knows that, you're just guessing. And and right now the market is guessing, and that's why it's trading at such low valuations. So. Let's now look at uh, Grand Columbia Gold Corp. It's time we answer a question on your stock. In a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. GCM on the TSX question came in from a listener over the past week. Currently priced at $551, $337 million market cap. They just... Uh, are completing an acquisition that likely goes up. But what does the company do? They are engaged in the acquisition, exploration, development, and operation of gold and silver properties, primarily in Colombia. So let's look at some key points here. 2020, the annual production was down 9% to 220,000 ounces compared with 239,000 ounces in 2019. The total produced in Q4 was down to 57,000 ounces from 65 in the same period last year. So the guidance for the coming year, they expect pr- to produce between 20 and or 200,000 and 220,000 ounces of gold. Uh, the guidance of the production there is to be down around between 9% to flat to what they did last year. Revenues, however, uh, in the quarter uh, Q4 were up 13% to 99.7 million. That reflected because production was down. That came because of the price of gold increased. Uh, average in the quarter was 1,875 per ounce sold, whereas last year it was about 1,480 per ounce sold in Q4 of 2019. Adjusted EBITDA was up 6% to 43 million. On an EVD EBITDA basis, uh, it looks undervalued. It has a relatively good balance sheet. They're spending some of that capital to uh, purchase a company. We'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, it's roughly $140 million in debt. 
Now, if we look at what, you know, we see good growth in revenues over the past, uh, from 2017 when it did 215 million in revenues up to a trailing 12 months or up till 2020, it did 390 million. So good growth there and good growth in profitability. Now, the company on March 15th announced of this year that it entered into a definitive agreement to purchase uh, all the outstanding shares of a company called Goldex, which owns the Toroparu something project in Western Guinea, uh, the gold district. Total consideration paid $315 million. They believe, Grand Columbia, that the combined company will consist of a complementary asset portfolio, including world-class free cash flow generating operations in Colombia, its current operations, as well as a large, high-growth, uh, de-risk project in Guana, that project that I couldn't pronounce there. And it boasts 4.5 million ounces of long-term gold production over a 24-year uh, mine life that they're estimating. Now, in the end, any investment in a gold producer is highly correlated to the price of gold itself. If gold increases in value this year, which is as it has not year-to-date, gold-related stocks, such as Grand Columbia included, will perform well, likely. The opposite is also true. Now, Grand Columbia is interesting and valuations may look attractive, but given the track record here, what we're looking at is a, a near-term production drop-off. We saw a production drop-off last year, a production drop-off likely again this year. Uh, there is the potential of bringing this new gold-producing asset into the fold, but there's always a lot of risk that can go on bringing a new asset. We see better ways to be exposed to gold in the near term. Uh, we'll continue to monitor it because it looks at low valuations, looks to be trading at, but right now we see better ways to be exposed to gold in the long term. It's just, it's, Any it's, comments? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a risky proposition investing in mining, gold mining. I, I, I'm not saying don't do it. I think that from the sounds of it, there's 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 some fundamentals there maybe, but yeah. um, I, I believe that I've looked at, at Grand Columbian um, several times in the past, and if, if it is the company that I'm thinking of, then then, then there certainly could be an argument for it, but it's especially, you know, some of these these smaller, less diversified miners. You really have to know the properties well. You have to understand mining. It's a very specialized field. Um, for us, it's not. I mean, in select cases, we we recommend mining companies, but for the most part, it's not an area of the market that we like to gravitate to. No, and it's just gonna mainly. You can have a company do tremendously well. Uh, like the results for in terms of revenues and earnings for Grand Columbia were pretty good this year, but year to date, uh, the price of gold has gone down. This company started the year at eight dollars and twenty four cents, and it's at five fifty five right now. So significant decline in the share price, and likely all because of the fact that gold has gone down. So the management may be executing very well. This acquisition may work out well for them in the long term. In the near term, for them. The price of gold has not moved well for them, and the stock has got significantly hit. I mean, this is what you you that, have that's that another commodity thing risk. Gold yeah. has been actually quite disappointing. I would have figured with all of the inflation and financial assets and other stores of value. I mean, we've seen stock prices go up, real estate prices go up, other metal prices go up. Um, We've seen, you know, Bitcoin, obviously, new types of crypto assets like NFTs, even like collectibles like baseball cards and art have gone up. Virtually anything Non-fungible tokens, yep, yeah, art, all these things. Value, and gold, gold starts the not... year at 1944, right? Yeah. 1944 US. 
is at seventeen hundred and thirty-two. Right and that now. worries me. So. Is it losing its its psychological perception store then of as value. a store of value, yeah. right? Because a lot of young people, I think, don't really see what they don't really see the attraction of gold, right? They'd rather they'd rather put the money in Bitcoin. And by young, I'm meaning anybody under forty, basically. Um, Whereas gold bugs, they tend anybody to be... under sixty is young. Aaron, come uh, on. Uh, yes, yes. The older you get, they just they just keep pushing that out. Anyone under ninety at some point is young. I'm gonna start saying. My grandma what? actually turned ninety today. Yeah, it's her birthday. Happy, She's happy young. birthday, grandma. Ninety five. Young. Anything. Oh, but she is. <laughs> happy birthday to your grandma. Happy but, birthday. Uh, is your grandma gold bug? <laughs> Um, she, no, might she might be. She's no. not a gold bug. Yeah. No. So it's it's no. concern. Anyways, it's concerning to me that I would have figured in this type of a of an environment with so much expansion of the money supply, you would see coal the gold price shoot up as well. Um, but no, no. So that's that would be a concern for sure. Without a doubt. Without a now, doubt. Now some might say that means that gold is undervalued and that it's going to go up. Others will say that means that gold is losing its status or there's other stores of value that are competing. Uh, investors away but regardless it's it's been I, I would say very disappointing no i agree and we'll continue to monitor gold and a number of things we'll talk about it as investment in our upcoming seminars um just really focusing on good college companies helping you build that simple 15 to 25 stock portfolio tomorrow is the last chance for you to get a ticket to our uh, uh what is this april 13th seminar uh, we encourage you to get those. Uh, it's been great, and we look forward to ask answering your questions in that um, in that uh, webinar. That's going to close out our show for this week. Continue to rate and review us on iTunes or anywhere you get this podcast. Keep your questions coming into our Ask Us Anything segments, our Your Stock, Our Take, and our Case For, Case Against, and we'll continue to answer those on a weekly basis. Thank you very much, and I wish you all profitable investing. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.